Hello, everyone. This is W, host of the High Art on the Edge page. Welcome to another episode of Surprise Cast. We're here to educate and entertain you. Today, we'll be heading to the west coast of California as we're taking a dive into dream pop, shoegaze, a little bit of noise pop, and anything else with bands that have been releasing music in the 2000s. They're also playing a big show this Saturday in San Francisco at the Knockout. So let's bring in Soft Science, Lavender Blush. We have Ryan, Katie, and Ross. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, W? I'm doing fine. Thanks. We meet again. This time we won't be talking about REM. But we can, perhaps. But we can. (laughs) Katie, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, W. Absolutely. And we won't be talking about some teenage fan club unless that shows up later in some album pick. We shall find out. Ross, I've never met you before. Very nice to meet you. How are you? I'm well. Nice to meet you. So we're going to start with this podcast and a question that I have for Ryan. You seem so very comfortable with Katie and Ross. How do you know them? How, how did you form this relationship with them? Well, we've played shows together and I think probably the link was John. So John, Katie's brother, does all of our art does the art for so many like-minded, wonderful groups and really, truly incredible artist, designer, musician. So I think that there's, there's a lot of linkage. There are a lot of, there are a lot of overlapping friendships, shared friendships, overlapping musical interests, influences. So I think that even though soft science is in Sacramento and we're in San Francisco, there's a lot that we share in terms of, I think, ideas about music, our approach to music, our passion for music, and friends and ideas about how we want music in our lives. What you do and what is your role in your band? I am the primary songwriter of Lavender Blush, as well as the singer and guitarist. Katie, how are you doing? Yes, doing good. All right, so tell me your role in Soft Science. I am the lead singer. Ross is the lead singer, and I contribute to lyric writing and sometimes melody things here and there and lots of commentary. Have you been part of the band since the very beginning? Oh, Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ross and I, well... Ross and Matt and I were in another band called California Oranges prior to to Soft Science. And that was with also my brother, John Conley, who is a graphic artist. It's all a very intertwined, you know, it's like the bands that within our genre and this indie, you know, it's like, it's like two to three, especially in Northern California and between it's like, it's like, two to three degrees separation, maybe a blood relative. Sorry, John. Ross, I have a question for you. Tell me about your role in the band Soft Science. I am the chief OCD-er. <laughs> no, I generally start the songs 
because I kind of, and then I bring the band and we finish them out and Katie and Wolf sometimes like write lyrics to the melodies I have. Sometimes I'll have just have a blank canvas and just come up with the melodies and the words and we'll figure it out and we'll work together. And she'll see, like she'll say, that's great. Or that's not, that's not it. And we'll figure it, you know, we'll collaborate and work forward to figure out what's going on. We're very, basically when we write, I write songs, I'm just basically trying to write songs where to showcase of Katie. Well, thank you for sharing in, these conversations, I like to do kind of a retracing of the steps. So, Ryan, tell me about a childhood experience that had an impact on you, positive or negative, that you, still lingers in your mind today and maybe shaped who you are as an artist, musician. I'm thinking about both musical and non-musical, but I think one the one that I'll share is musical. I remember being in elementary school and seeing the fifth graders could be in band class. And that was tremendously exciting for me when I was younger than that. So we had, I think in third or fourth grade, something called recorder club, which we're all just making noises on recorders. And that to me, it was, it was fun, but it wasn't soul satisfying. And I was looking at those fifth graders in band and I'm like, that's where it's at. That's where I want to be. So when it came time for fifth grade, we had this sign-up form where we demonstrated our, if, if we were interested in band, we would then choose an instrument that we would want to play. And I thought the flute was incredible. So I, I checked off flute. Now, I brought the form home and the only pa- a parent needed to sign up. And the only parent home that night was my father. And he had, he, he's never admitted this, but he had some, I think, ge- traditional gender-based ideas about the flute, huh? He kind of gave me a little bit of that energy. And I didn't know what he's talking about because I'm, I'm a kid and <laughs> not privy to these ingrained dynamics, right? And so I'm like, yeah, the flute is awesome. I want to play the flute. And he's like, what about the saxophone? What about the trumpet? And so I'm a kid. I'm like, those are, those are cool too. Yeah. All about it. So I ended up going with trumpet as a result of the permission slip being signed, I think, which is an interesting, it's interesting how certain things send you on a path, but trumpet is my first instrument. It's the one I've been playing the longest. And I think that probably that's not something a ton of people in the world of music know about me. But I've been playing that longer than any other instruments and have a background in jazz ultimately. So I think I, I got kind of steered to the trumpet in a certain way, in an interesting and meaningful way, and in a way that I bring up as an example in the gender and communication classes that I teach, of course. But I really love the instruments, and I think that set me on the path for music in many ways. The Were your parents and... the are they supportive of your work as a musician? And were they supportive when you started taking interest in that, Ryan? Extremely supportive. I am, I'm so lucky to have parents like them. They're not musicians, but they are huge music appreciators, which I think is where I get a lot of this from. For me, they always encouraged explorations into music. So they would get me instruments. They would pay for my lessons growing up. 
anything that I was curious about in relation to music, they would make it happen. And I think sometimes parents, especially in that era, there could be a degree of like, I don't know if this is going to be a phase for my child. So I don't want to super invest a ton of time and money and energy into it. But my parents were always like, yes, even if it is just a phase, it's an interesting thing. You're clearly passionate about it and we support that. And they still do. And I feel like a child sometimes whenever Lavender Blush has a new vinyl record, I always bring them a copy and we listen to it together and talk about it. And it really pleases me that they like my music. Katie. So tell me about when music began to shape you as a person. When did it start to have an impact on your listening experience? I don't ever remember a time when it didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, my family just had, well, I'm kind of like Ryan. Well, my dad was a great appreciator of music and my mom was as well, but my mom sang as well my dad always said that he couldn't sing but i think he just he could whistle and he would love music so much he loved music so much so i i just think he got shot down by somebody early on and in a, inappropriately but anyway no so there's always music going on in my house growing up stereo was a big thing <laughs> my mom always sang in like church choir and stuff and and then she she did actually sing at a country band just briefly. But anyway, I just, I mean, just listening to albums like all the time, singing in the car with my mom and my brother, who embarrassed him. It was just a, it's just always, I, I don't know a time. <laughs> Would you like to tell the listener who your brother is? Oh, yeah. John Conley, who's in Desario and... Blackbirds. We were in a band alone for a long time called Holiday Flyer and then California Oranges prior to Ross. What type of relationship did you have with your parent or parents while growing up? And were they supportive of your appreciation and love for music? They were. We, we were really, really fortunate, primarily because my older brother got in a lot of trouble. And we were relatively good kids. So they were very supportive as long as being that we weren't getting into trouble. And we were at home because we were so lucky because we had, after my older brother moved out, there was an empty bedroom in the house that we could set drums and guitars up in. And we could be as loud as we wanted right after school. So every day we'd race home after school and play music, you know, and that was the kind of our happy place. And one of the things that drew us, unlike, Ryan and Katie, our house really had not not a lot. My parents had like five, eight tracks or like, it was like Dolly Parton Christmas and like, you know, like did nothing as like, I know it was like a desert, but my brother, older brother, he actually, he was about four years older, roughly. He was super into a lot of different stuff. So my first big exposure to music was going through his stuff. And that was, you know, where I hear like the Sex Pistols, Ramones, Von Femmes, Depeche Mode, Yaz, the, you know, all that kind of stuff from the time. And and I mean, I remember just, I remember going through his record collection and playing records, just laying on the floor and just being like, if I didn't like it, it, mean, it means I don't get it. I have to try to get it. It's like listening so intently to try to figure it out, you know. And then and the real thing that drew my brother Matt and I, who plays guitar in soft science and California, is, is that. We were really, really, really bad at sports. 
not good at sports at all. We were not good. So we, uh, so there was something that we could do and there's in, in lieu of that. And we were always a little socially awkward too. plays into it. It's like in, in this place, we can go in our own world and create our own soundscapes and build and build and build. And there's no right or wrong answers. You just keep, keep going with it. And, and it's something that I remember because like Ryan played trombone, I played trombone through high school, a little bit in college. My junior high band teacher was lamenting one day about how when they go to high school, a lot of the girls quit band the guys quit to play football and sports the girls quit to do be cheer but also in high, the junior high they had the, the drill team they called them thigh slappers he's like oh they gotta quit to be thigh slappers i'm like oh it was just stuck with me because i was matt and i were long haul on it and we just wanted to explore music and continue to this day and the great thing about music versus sports is don't blow a knee and be done with it you can do it forever as long as you don't blow your ears i guess but you know pete townsend still doing it sure his ears aren't great I, thank you for sharing. I have to ask you this question, Ross, because I've heard those two words several times in interviews I've done with artists, socially awkward. Do you feel that still applies? Do you still feel that label? I think everyone in soft science is on the spectrum somewhere. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> True. Sorry, I just yeah, yeah, there's some truth to that. Well, maybe not getting backy. Maybe not getting backy. Well, <laughs> I think I have a. There's some anxiety going on that I think is. Uh, no, Katie. Like, uh, there's some uber focus, like the uber focus. You know. Yeah, uh, you do have that. You do have that. <laughs> so, Ross, would you would you say for you then, if that label still applies, do you feel like being in a band, being on stage, helps you? manage or cope or if you even care being on stage is just it's just fun it's kind of like the release of all the work you've done where recording can sometimes be stressful the, the release of a, a new record is awesome it's again but the where i kind of where people when you ocd on something you can't really sometimes choose what you ocd on i ocd on is like where what chord goes next from that chord you know and i will when i get really into something i will just like i'll lose sleep just thinking like no that's not it that's not it that's not it that's not it and it just gives my brain something to focus on the other than you know the world today which let's not focus on that ryan so before lavender blush did you have any other bands that you felt were professional in any manner? And if so, what were those bands? And when did you really start to feel like you were you had become a musician? Well, my first show or my first band that played shows was called Moonbeams. And I started that band when I lived in San Diego in 2009 is when we started. And that was also my first foray into singing and writing lyrics. Previously, I didn't have the confidence for either. And I still don't think of myself really as a singer. I think of myself as a songwriter who sings out of necessity. And that said, I've grown to 
enjoy singing a lot more and to think of myself as a good singer with a specific voice. But yeah, that was my first project where I wrote the lyrics and sang. And I had been the primary songwriter for other groups before, but no, those groups weren't super serious. Moonbeams, we played shows mostly in San Diego. We started to play a couple shows in LA too. We connected with a promoter who had a night there called Part-Time Punks, a guy named Michael Stock, really influential figure who has made a lot happen for me. Sort of an L.A. John Peel, modern L.A. John Peel sort of character. But we played mostly in San Diego and L.A. And then when I moved to San Francisco, we kept Moonbeams going for a couple of years. The lineup changed a lot. But yeah, a lot of Lavender Blush songs are Moonbeam songs or are reworked versions or ideas I had in, in, the, in that era that I've updated. When I moved to San Francisco, Moonbeams continued for a couple of years, but I felt like with new musicians coming in and I was in a different place in my life and starting to write about different themes, I felt, and my songs were developing different complexity, I felt like I needed a name change. And so that's when, that's the reason for the shift to Lavender Blush, which was, I think, 2015 when that happened. And it was with the final lineup of Moonbeams just became Lavender Blush, basically. But prior to that, in San Francisco, I joined the group LSD in the Search for God and was their bassist for several years. I play on their second record. And that was fun. That taught me a lot about being a musician, playing with them. They have sort of a cult following that is on a different level than Lavender Blush, well, much different level. And it's been kind of interesting because it's, stylistically genre wise sit pretty similar but they have a lot of fans a lot of fans and it was fun to be in a group like that and to kind of have people like whistling at the start of certain songs and <laughs> to experience those dynamics so that was a different kind of scene then after i stopped playing with them so much i would play with them off and on for a while after Lavender Blush started. And their main songwriter, Andy, he's played shows with Moonbeams before. I started a side project, I think 2013-ish, called My Red Dress, which I was doing with Sophia, who's one of the vocalists from LSD and the Search for God. We wanted to make some kind of post-punk electronic sounding music together. So we did that, but I, I found myself... Lavender Blush has been, I think, the most focused version of my musical output. And it's the one that I've put the most heart and soul into. And I think it's in this project where I, I feel like it's the first time I would call myself a musician. I think prior to Lavender Blush, I wouldn't have said that I would have thought of myself as more of a hobbyist than anything. But I still feel that way, but it feels more serious now. Katie, for you, when did when was that seed planted in terms of you feeling like, okay, I want to explore this notion of being a musician and any band experiences prior to Soft Science, please? It's hard because the music thing is always the thing I've been most passionate about, but there was a lot of, even though my 
parents were very supportive in their own way. There was a lot of message of don't put your all, all your eggs in that basket. So, uh, and I think that's one of the things that my guess is that Ross and Matt also had in common. <laughs> there was a, you also need to support yourself. My understand if you think you're very good, but so. Like what was kind of the, the early seeds of this for you? Oh, well, just in my brother. I mean. I can I jump in about no, yeah, his brother. I've heard the stories about John when John is a few years older than Katie and John would come in to Katie's bedroom and quiz her on like metal records and who's like, who, who did this song? Who's that song? (laughs) And so John kind of dragged her along into a giant musical world. And he could, and then when they did Holly flyer, who, when I met Katie, she's Holly flyer who were like really good. I mean, Holly flyers was amazing. And, uh, yeah, so you know, John had a very big influence on on Katie. And, yes, uh, he did. He's he still does. He, but he, yeah, and I like he was in bands prior because he's he's so he's he's a few years older than than me. We'll just keep it at that. And he, so he let me tag along to all kinds of cool shows. I got to go to so many shows, and my my parents were like. And even they were like, you know, all ages or whatever. But I went to shows that like when I was 14 years old that like I had no business going to. Thank goodness to my brother who would just say, oh, yeah, Katie's cool. She'll just hang out. And I would be like, just stay in this little corner. And I'd be like, okay. So it was awesome. So I got to see like crazy shows. So, you know, like you take me like we went and saw Ocean Blue and my lemon drops in San Francisco. And we went and, you know. I can just, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that when John was in like punk bands and he was in other bands and then, and then our, our, our musical tastes started merging. And then, and then I would like offer unsolicited harmonies to, to his, some of his, his works. And then all of that just kind of like morphed in the holiday flyer. And then I, I taught myself to do, to play the, we'll call it percussion. It was like a drum. It was very, it was low at the same time low was doing low we actually played holiday flyer actually played with low on their first tour of the west coast just for a few shows so and uh, my brother was uh pen pals with alan so it's pretty cool you had a good time and then it just okay once you start doing that and it was it was a lot of fun it just always it just becomes part of who you are Ross, so for you being a musician, I want you to tell me about some of the growing pains that you've experienced and tell me about some of the, how you are growing as an artist and where, where do you feel like you have improved and what else would you like to keep working on? I can tend to be pretty hard on myself when, when recording and writing, sometimes I'm like, it's not done. It's not good enough. It's not done. And Matt and Katie be like, it's done because we can't work with this the rest of our lives. You have to be. <laughs> so, so I, I just never, you know, just kind of keep spinning on things. And we, with our last record lines, I felt like we try to make our lyrics be as good as they can be. Not to say we're that great at lyricists, but we put effort into them to try to make them be good and about something and often about person kind of at some level personal but being the k are, are writing them together it's not like a exact picture it's 
it's collage, but still it, it resonates. It's something that resonates in because so I think probably the way I've grown more is, is trying to make it's basically probably lyrically and having it be as connecting as possible and real as possible. And sometimes like people very steer away from like songs being about something like do like word collages and most of our, our songs, we have some word collages, but we overall, we still try to like make, have a, a meaning to it, you know, and it's often they're cheesy, you know, like we like songs. They're basically love songs and songs about arguing with your wife or husband and things like that. But it's, you know, but they're real. Then they're kind of coming from some place that's real. And it's a reason, you know, some people, I don't know. It's, Nothing's perfect. Chasing the dragon. The next record's gonna be better than the last. <laughs> uh, we'll keep striving. You know, we are working beginning on uh, a batch of new songs that I'd be a pretty good start to. It was such a long time between maps and lines. A lot of those due to the pandemic, but we're trying to not have that gap and and get the ball rolling. And because you know, as Kay mentioned, we all are. I'm very lucky in that my, I have an identical twin brother that, that I played music with nonstop since I was 13 years old. We were seventh grade. We started our first band. We've been in a band ever since. The band has changed. There's been many bands, many, some good, some horrible, many bands, right? And we always just need a bass player or another person to be in the band and we're golden, right? But it's sometimes we like turn things out too fast historically but i think one of the things with pandemic actually was where we got to like slow down way down and work on maps so much too much not sorry lines and almost too much detail so we're trying to find that happy medium and i think we have a pretty good dynamic now it's more logistics because becky and tony live in pengrove which is about with no traffic an hour and a half away so it's hard for us to get together to practice so matt kane and i have when we can, we'll get together and work on demo ideas and things. So then we bring Tony and Becky in. It'll be more developed and you can try to get more momentum and uh, not be a million years for the next record. So Ryan, after hearing what Ross just said, something came to mind here. And with Lavender Blush, do you go in with each album with some kind of vision, some kind of goal that you want to really explore and address? Or do you kind of feel your way through i think with some of these questions i'm like how much detail do i want to get into how much do i want to give away of <laughs> the very personal processes um, it really depends I, I usually don't have a totalized vision every record has a pretty different story i would say our output so far has largely been a result of what I've been feeling at the time and experiencing in my life. My lyrics are very, very specific about specific things that I've experienced and ways I've been feeling and relationships, not just romantic, but relationships of all sorts. We are currently working on a record that we're planning a lot more though, which is pretty different for us. Our last EP was much more collaborative than anything we've ever done. We wrote all together. Prior to that, it was mostly me doing the writing and bringing like 80 or 90% of a completed song to my pals. And I realized that they make everything so much better. And it took me too long to realize that. But I'm glad that I did. 
And so our last record was really collaborative and we want to keep that going, that dynamic, but we've gotten kind of scientific about it in a certain sense, very nerdy. We were trying to make our 10 out of 10 out of 10 record. And I mean, I don't want to say like we were going mostly for like, we wanted, we wanted to make a seven out of 10. We're always trying to make good records, of course, but this time we're trying to be really intentional to make very purposeful record. And we've even done stuff like we've compiled our list of 10 out of 10 records and we're sort of analyzing them very, yes, very scientifically. And we have a particular methodology, but we're looking for patterns. What makes a good track one makes what makes a good track two? What are albums that maybe aren't tens, but are eights and nines? What can we learn from those records? And so we're, we're sort of compiling each song individually and we're writing and recording only one song at a time. So we don't stretch our energy and artistic vision across songs, but we're trying to give complete focus to one and then we move on to the next. And that's very different from our style. So does all of that thinking, ref- that reflection, does that come after the album has been hatched and released out into the world and maybe you played some shows? Or is that like after a track, as sometimes bands are now sending out singles first rather than the whole album? Yeah, I think sometimes the cohesiveness of an album has come to me after the fact where when we were working on it, maybe it seemed each song seemed pretty individual, but then I realized that there was sort of a guiding theme that maybe we weren't super aware of or attentive to. In terms of releasing singles, that's something that I'm really bad at understanding. I feel like (laughs) I'm a really, I have a good musical vision in a lot of ways, but I always choose like the worst song to be a single. And I'm I'm bad with track orders too, where I'm like, this is the perfect order. And I think I'm this incredible, you know, mixtape genius. And then I'm like, let me, let me get some feedback about this. And I always get feedback that makes it way better. So one really great influence for me with singles has been the owner of the label that both of our groups are on, uh, Ed. He's incredible with it. And sometimes I'm like, what do you think the singles should be? And like, he's got a good business sense. He's an incredible musician, has great artistic taste. And he chooses well also. And I find that him and my bandmates usually are of a similar mind. My approach tends to be pretty different, but their ideas are better. So it's good to get that feedback. Katie, with trying to coordinate practice with the band and Ross had mentioned, you know, some, some of the bandmates are in Pengrove and this and that. And, you know, sometimes artists have told me as they get older, it gets harder to meet because of their other jobs or families, whatever the careers they're in. How do you work with the bandmates to try to coordinate time to practice and to work on new material? Oh, we have a pretty solid text line. <laughs> the five of us. There's a lot of banter on there. We we, we get it figured out. Katie, um, and we, Katie Matt, and I get together every Wednesday afternoon, late afternoon, but cancel 80% of the time. Yeah. 90% of the time. 90% of the time, it's like, oh, we're like, oh, can't do it, can't do it. So it's like, if we get once a month, it's golden. We're 
high five. Yeah. <laughs> we, when we, for, of course, when we first started soft science, we were like every Wednesday night, we had a practice place. We had all these things. And we had a better, again, COVID's kind of like the pandemic really kind of screwed things up for us. And then Tony and Becky, they, they again, they moved. But we make things work. We make it work. And we're in contact and, and, but it is, it is challenging because I don't know where Ryan and Lavender blush, blush practices, but I'd actually be curious about that, you know, because the practice place is always challenging. So, so for this show that coming up, Katie, on Saturday, does the band do a lot of rehearsing beforehand or you just kind of like, you know, we practice like we got really we got show shape we call it show we usually we kind of folk we kind of we're gonna we're gonna mold to two modes ross can unmute if you were sorry to, to chime in here but what we 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 say we have two modes we have be good live mode and record mode because that's but we're gonna try to kind of merge the two on this coming up to make sure that both are happening at the same time so that's going to be interesting. And so we're going to just weave in, like, because we run through the set now. We got a solid set, and we just run through that thing. And we run through it a couple times when we get together. And then and now we're going to start weaving in some new songs. And that's going to be fun for us. So, and that will hopefully help the trajectory as we move forward, because we're going to be playing shows, and we're going to try to record some stuff and move some stuff forward as we support lines live, but then also move towards getting another record out before five years. So is there someone that kind of has like, keeps everyone on the timeline moving forward? No, we got, well, there's a solid project management aspect. Me and Matt are pretty in. <laughs> we got a lot of people moving in Ross too. We have, that's one of the, that's one of been one of the greatest things. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, Ross and I have been friends since for, for, a long, long time. We went to be met at the Beat record store. We, we, when we were both in college, I said we've been friends for a long time. We were on this trajectory, and then, you know, and now we've been in bands together for a long time. And then when we, when California Oranges broke up and we started Soft Science, it was very much like, okay, we're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're gonna, like we. It's playing to our strengths, and we've just continued to grow and build on that. Like I used to kind of play instruments in California Oranges and Holiday Flyer. It was always, oh, Katie could do the keyboard part or whatever and figure it out. But you know what? That's she's, not my strong is, suit. Um, legitimately a really good tambourine player. I mean, she locks in. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in like a joking way. It's like, it's strong. So that's the important uh, thing. So you're still playing instruments. <laughs> But yeah, I wasn't the, the, anyway. We all play our role and we do our thing, and we there's joy in that because we we all really wanted to just finally be in a band that's really consistent. One of the things that when because like probably everyone here, you look all kinds of music, wide range of music. So when you start a band, you could be like, oh, I want I like do this over here and this over here. And then when someone listens to the record, they're like, that's all over the place. And sometimes actually that's works and it's magic, but sometimes it's like people can't follow the plot. So one of the things when we started, because we have a tendency for like crack rock, pure pop. Right. So we tried to like, to mute it somewhat, kind of make it moody, kind of, kind of like kind of diminish it or dilute it somewhere and make it like, but you know, cause but so we just made that sometimes we're like that song it's good can't we're can't use it it's just too 
too sugary, too pure pop. You know what I mean? It's like it's over, it crosses that line. And sometimes you get pretty close to it. But so that's why, like, in the new record, we have like well, a song called Sadness, where it's like, it's pretty damn pop, but it's still kind of melancholy. You know, yeah. kind of has that melancholy to it. It's not like happy pop. Where so so we have to kind of like a lot of self editing to make sure you kind of curate it to be in within the parameters you want to have the band sound more cohesive. Sometimes that's something we still struggle with because we do have so many different influences in different directions. You're always like, okay, so this and that, and like, oh, this is they don't they don't work together. You know, what I mean, they're not the same band. It's, it's kind of two different things. So, so Ross and I last time I spoke with Katie, just we had talked about what makes a good concert experience for the person out in the audience. And we had a really nice dialogue about this. What makes a good concert experience for you? And how do you keep that in mind while you're playing on stage? And what do you do to connect to your audience? Uh, That's a tough one. Playing live, if I start really thinking about how I looked and what I was doing, I'd probably get lost in my head and screw up. So you got to kind of just let go and be in the moment. Because if you start thinking about it, then, you know, so it's, it's kind of tough. I don't know. As far as live, I don't know. I've... Do you mean, W, do you mean like, what makes a good, I think they're almost two different, like what makes a good live experience for if we're watching another band or if we ourselves are playing? Either one. I mean, I was just trying to like understand the mindset of an artist when they're on stage. Do they try to put themselves in the shoes of the viewer and go, okay, I want them to experience this. I want them to feel this song or this. I just want to make sure somebody can actually hear my vocals. They're having. (laughs) Honestly, I'm like, did you hear any of that? (laughs) So, so Ross, does that make sense? Like, how do you step inside that mindset of the of the the viewer so I you don't think i can i going back to my previous point you, you can't think about it too much i think if I, if I thought about it a bunch i would i would screw up i'd be i'd probably go in some kind of self self-destructive spiral like make a slight little mistake and like oh i surely heard that i'm horrible and you know i suck i'm horrible blah blah you have to kind of be like let it flow out and be like, it's happening. We're doing it. Yay. This, <laughs> it's a, it's a different, you know, it, it's very, it's almost like actually, if anything, it's almost like turning your brain off. You're just kind of letting it flow out, you know, and enjoying the moment as well as hopefully the people in the crowd are. So, so how do you connect with your audience? Do you, I've never seen a soft science show. So does the band do anything during the set where they, you know, do this, you know, the typical, how's everyone doing? Do you, do you guys go out of your way to connect in any kind of dialogue? Uh, you have a few self, self, this effacing jokes or about how we suck. And then we'll have, no, back in the day, we actually ha- thought about it a lot when we had lots of time and we all practice a lot. And we had backlights. We had lights we set up that were, because I, because long time ago I saw Black Pearl Motorcycle Club at Old Iron Side Sacramento, and they're freaking amazing, right? And it was a small, small bar, and they had 
blinding backlights and smoke. And I was like, that's where it's at. Blinding backlights and smoke. That's how you do it. And then so we would try to jerry-rig our own like light smokes and backlight thing. And we had this MIDI setup light show that we did, but it's a lot of work and we haven't been able to get it back to that. At some point, maybe we could reintroduce that if we could find the bandwidth. But so we kind of thought about that at that point. Now we're just more focused on just sounding good. Man, well, we not- don't. If, I hope it's okay to interject, Ross. But like mm-hmm. we we've we tried really hard. We've all been in bands where it, we've had to make like compromises and kind of like and and for I know for us sounding. I know this is right. W is gonna like like this, but we try really hard to sound like our record live. We try really hard really hard so because we want because you know what I, I always think it's impressive when some when you go and you see another band and you're like holy crap they're doing that live and we just try to have like a cohesive experience so we're not really a playful banter band like in between like actually even if we end up do talking it's always kind of somewhat awkward honestly so you know, and we do like try to say, you know, thank you for coming out and stuff. Cause we really do mean it. Like anyone who comes out to see our show, oh my God, thank you. Anyone who's even ever listened to any of our music, thank you. It is a world of music out there. There is so much stuff. If you ever even found us, I mean, thank you yep. for even listening and giving us two seconds of your time. So, and then people like will come up and like, that's the best. Like when we went to Kalamazoo Gazer, it was so much fun because there were like a few people who were like, we try, we drove 200 miles to come see you. We're like, what? Like this one guy was like, that's awesome. Like the one guy that I had to tell <laughs> this guy, we were playing on stage, we were playing on stage and it turns out like that actually it was, my vocals were not coming through like one side of the oh, speakers. Well. And this guy was like standing in front and he was looking at me so intensely, like, so like he was like angry, like angry. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? But luckily he was like, he had been like, I couldn't hear you. I can't hear you. And so then they ended up fixing it, which was awesome. No, he but said, then, like, she has the voice of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. Amazing. Girl, like, show, she's great. And after the show, he like came and talked to us at the merch table or whatever and that's actually where we really got to know ed because tears on runs played and that was like we like to think that that actually helped us eventually get on shelf life which was amazing but he's like he came up and he's like yeah i've been playing detour i'm an art teacher and i played detour in class and let my you know my kids like you know do drawing and stuff and i was like i almost start crying we have to thank that guy because what ha- what happened is when you know when you they turn off I guess they mute the columns and they ch- the band changeover when they restarted we started playing they own the one of the whole columns on the stage was still turned off so only one side was working and that guy was the guy who rang the alarm that something's wrong something's wrong and eventually like they at like three songs in they're like okay we figured it out. And then- <laughs> no. no, that's just really- that was a moment. Yeah, thank you for sharing, both of you. That's it's really illuminating and insightful. I appreciate it. Okay, Ryan, this question is for you. In terms of being a musician, an artist, I want you to tell me about the challenges in making music today versus, I don't know, three, five, seven years ago. 
And what changes have you observed in the industry, if any? And how are you getting better at working through these challenges? I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is that there is so much out there. It is hard to find a listenership sometimes. And I think what Ross and Katie were saying, sometimes when people reach out and talk about having been moved by our music, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you for knowing about us even. (laughs) How exciting that is. I think we live in a really wonderful time for music in that people are able to produce incredible albums using GarageBand and having no equipment beyond the most basic people are producing incredible albums that way. And we are hearing more ideas. We're hearing more from populations that have been traditionally left out of the mainstream music industry. So it's good that that's going on. But at the same time, I think it's a lot harder to break through. And I think that a lot relies on sometimes like the right person. I'm not even going to say the right people. It's like the right person likes your music. And that's enough to open a handful of doors. And it's it's cool. It's frustrating. It's nice when it happens to your group, but it's also, it feels a little unjust sometimes. I feel like there are plenty of groups that we've played with that have exclusively self-released their stuff. For example, just incredible groups that like you should be on not only a label, you should be on a label with a lot of resources. (laughs) You're writing incredible songs. You have a lot of energy live. And that's just not always how it plays out. I think also this might be more San Francisco specific, but life is so expensive. And I've noticed a trend that fewer people are going to live shows, I think just straight up. And especially when it comes to bands that are kind of at the more local level, that's People are working more than one job. People have responsibilities. The idea of going out to see a concert on a Wednesday night, midweek, or taking a risk on a group that you're unfamiliar with, I think that has become a lot higher stakes for people. So one of the things that I feel like I've seen is that you get these bands that play at venues like the Fillmore, the Great American, Warfield, whatever, bands playing those kinds of shows, people will show up, show up for that, right? Because it's a known band. It's a band that like nobody's really taking a risk on. But I think bands like Lavender Blush, at least, there is taking a risk element. And I think that it's just gotten more difficult for people. And I say this, I think, a little hypocritically too, because as both a musician and a huge fan of music, I found that I'm going to less local shows, which I'm not thrilled about, but it's also reflecting some of what I'm talking about. Just life is tough. Life is busy. Got to earn enough money to survive. And I think a lot of people are in that position. And I think that has a a negative impact on attendance. In terms of getting better at it, I'm going to make music no matter what the circumstances are like, even if it's just my parents listening to the music or just my dog. I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it. That's how I feel about it. What I'm getting better at is I think 
understanding the importance of professionalism while playing a show because people are maybe risking something in some way they're they're doing something to be there and so i think that to respect their time is important i think also just being passionate bringing strong energy and writing songs that are interesting one of my biggest one of the things i love the most about music and my favorite bands tend to be like this they're bands that in their time were playing to like 100 200 people max and then like 20 years later they're playing festivals and they're playing you know these larger shows i think that good music does have a way of coming through it just might take a long time and it might not happen in the way that the songwriter anticipates. But I think as long as you put your heart into it, it's going to do something for you. And I think other people will respond to it too. Great response. Thank you so much, Katie. Obviously we know how much you love music that shines through. It's very apparent. What speaks to your heart that most people wouldn't know about for whatever reason? Other than music. Well, I'd also say that I just loved Ryan's entire answer to that last question. I do that hearty here. <laughs> so, as I mentioned earlier, my parents suggested that I don't put all my eggs in one basket. So, and I have not. But I insisted that, very thankful I was going to, was not going to do music, which I am still, you know, always be in my heart and very passionate about. It's my number one thing. A second is historic preservation. So I have, that's what I do for a living. Mm. So I, I am an architectural historian and I do historic preservation and regulatory compliance. <laughs> say that past three times but so i advocate for you know historic structures and do evaluations for a national register and california register and things like that and tell make people do mitigation if they're going to do something terrible to a historic building and and make it hard for them if they're going to do something terrible to a historic building so that's my side thing that mom people probably don't know about me kind of a niche thing i i've i've told sometimes i wish that i didn't care so much but <laughs> about both the music and the historic preservation because <laughs> sometimes it makes your life a little difficult to care so much honestly mm -hmm. but i probably really wouldn't have it any other way how long you've been doing that for right. 20 years okay and you really love it i care a lot <laughs> <laughs> you know it's our history yeah. it's a physical manifestation of our history and in my opinion you you're going to understand where we are today it's really good to have context for how we got here so. yeah good for you no i wouldn't have not, i would not have known that so that's why i asked that question so thank you for sharing okay ross so this kind of touches on what a little bit was right what ryan was sharing about the challenges in the industry today. What I want to know is how do you stay connected with your fan base? What do you do to let them know that you're hearing their opinions, their comments, their suggestions? Maybe they message you. I don't know. But 
how do you stay connected in this huge pool? TikTok, X, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Kind of what is your approach to all that? Well, again, this building off of Ryan's answer, there's a fire hose of music coming out constantly. So much music and, and so much good music. It's there's so many talented people in the world that it's it can be intimidating. And when you catch someone's attention, that is it just means a lot. And the, it's you know, when we get calm, it, it just not taking anything for granted, basically. It's got probably the best way I can put it. Because, you know, everything's fleeting. Everything's, you know, the moment's always moving. And you, when when someone ex- in really uh, appreciating when people express positive re- or give positive reactions or say nice things and showing it that we appreciate as much as we possibly can, because we do. You know, when we try to get too jaded, you know, because we're not, we're far from rock stars. But, you know, when someone... There's a saying once I heard, but don't believe your your friends and your family when they say you're wonderful because they're lying, right? Because like you know, so so when you're like your friends, all yeah, it's a great track, that's great, it's really good. It's like yeah, whatever. That's good. Thank you, thank you. But but when someone who you do not know, you have no reason to say anything nice to you from you know Europe or across somewhere that you've never been, reaches out online and is saying you know you know, the lyrics to that song are great or, or, you know, this track's great or whatever. It just means a lot. And it, it goes to the fact that like music's such a, it's also building on what Ryan said, music's such a personal thing in that you can be, there can be a band that can be your favorite band in the world, favorite record ever. And that band could have sold like 10 records. Right. And to you, that's your favorite band in the world. So it's it's all in the mind of the list or ears of the listener. And so you do try not to take that for granted. So we know we're not rock stars or anything, but we get so when we do get positive response, it really means a lot that you found that connection with 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 somebody. And you know, just try to take not take it for granted and and show appreciation is the only way you really can kind of build. Is there someone in the soft science band that kind of handles the the work of staying connected to your fans? Well, Katie and I both do the social media stuff, and it's not a perfect science or a well-articulated plan. It's just, and sometimes one of us is super busy, usually Katie, because Katie's super busy, but, you know, and we circle back around. Did you get back to that person? Or what do you say to that person? That's great. You know, and, but, you know, we don't, you know, we probably should have a better plan, but it's pretty org- organic. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a fascinating, but brutal task. I'm sure to keep up with responding to people's comments doing all the merchandise stuff, getting the vinyl, all, I mean, it's, it's gotta be so vast. Well, one thing that we try to do is where we're, we're trying to do as a band is trying to put any pressure on it. Cause for us, our private, our lives have lots of stress that, in every day and music is our happy place. So sometimes we have these like come to Jesus moments. where like, we're putting too much pressure on it. What usually Matt and Katie sing Ross calm down. So like, cause I'm, you know, like, but you, when you say, okay, you know, there, there's no, we're not, 
there's no ending. The journey is the, the journey is the thing, you know, we're not working towards something where the journey is the thing we're doing and, and just trying to do the best we can at the moment versus like, you know, cause we're, we're under no illusions. We're not going to, you know, make it and quit our jobs and be rock stars. We just want to like take the opportunities that come to us and make the best of them in a way that gives us a happy place in life versus that's one of the things when the pandemic got, got what as Kay alluded to, we got kind of in the doldrums because we lost our kind of one of our big happy places, a release, you know, go make music with friends. And it was part of our identity, what we did. And we lost that for a while. And it was just, I mean, that was first world problem as far as the world goes, but seriously, but, <laughs> but, but first that's the soft science, you know, it, it was, it just showed how much important place it is to be able to have that opportunity to create music. And it, as again, as Ryan said, it's like kind of come compulsory. It's like, it's compulsion. It's not something you're like, you know, Oh, if we don't, if you don't make it this time, we're going to quit. It's like, no, let's, I'm going to keep me doing music until, you know, until I die, I'm going to be doing something and going to that way that music has changed. This kind of goes to the, 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 fire hose of music it's because through technology it's easier and easier to make music if you can it's more about writing music than recording it nowadays where it used to be the bar entry was going to go to a recording studio pay tons of money you have to have a physical distributor to get cds or records sent around and there's huge barter entry there's basically no barter entry anymore which is great because there's tons of great music being out in the world that would otherwise not be there but you know, it can be a, some when you're the artist releasing the music, it can be a little bit needle in the haystack. But so it's a complicated thing. Great nuggets, all three of you dropped. Thank you. All right. So before we conclude this conversation, I'd like to do something a little bit more lighthearted fun. This is where you get a chance to recommend an album for our audience, some album that's had an impact on you, either when you were kid or adult doesn't matter so we're going to start with ryan ryan what album what obscure band did you bring to this conversation today <laughs> what <laughs> okay the seven inch i think this is i brought this up last time teach me tiger it's yeah a huge influence on me just a series of seven inch records I think in the late nineties, it's an artist from Detroit and some of the musicians on the record have played with groups like his name is alive. They're kind of part of that same scene, but teach me tiger is this very interesting. It's like a mixture of dub reggae and like Motown. It's it's, and it's super lo-fi. It's really fascinating. The, they inspire me a lot not in terms of how my music sounds, but there's this sort of raw quality to it. It just feels like you're engaging directly with a songwriter's ideas without it being filtered through like how other people might perceive it or how this record might be received. It just feels extremely authentic to me. And this is something that I haven't encountered a ton of people knowing about this artist it's definitely one of those for me that like i'm trying to spread the gospel to anyone who listens it's an incredible group i think one of the only places to find it easily online 
are two YouTube uploads that I actually did <laughs> several years ago because I wanted people to be able to find it. But their song Wonderful, I think, is truly incredible. How did you find out about them, Ryan? I found out about them because I got super... I'm so We're all nerdy about music and obsessive. I was really getting into the group Saturday Looks Good to Me, the one of the projects of Fred Thomas. And he cited Teach Me Tiger. He cited them as basically Saturday Looks Good to Me was started as a way to plagiarize <laughs> Teach Me Tiger. But he was so inspired. And that was a friend of his, uh, the songwriter for that group. But I actually reached out to Fred, who is a huge influence of mine as well. I reached out to him being like, I love Teach Me Tiger. Can you tell me more about them? And he sent me this long response, really thoughtful. And it felt very cool. It felt very two musicians really getting intense about another musician. And I mean, I think about we all we have had conversations like this. I've had conversations with John Conley at shows, him and Jim Revis, which is I met Jim. I met John through Jim. Jim I'm like, is, of course you have. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't yes. But Jim Revis was the drummer and Rocket Ship, also a hugely influential band for me. And I remember I was at a show one time and John and Jim were there. We were seeing Slow Dive and they went on this tangent about, you know, what's the best show you've been to? And they're telling me like all these incredible shows that they went to when I was like, you know, four or five years old. They're seeing like Mazzy Star and the Cocteau Twins. And it's incredible. It's so fun to talk to other musicians about music. You know what I'm going to go with? Okay, I got my Luxembourg Signal uh -huh. album. I love this record. It's a couple years old. It is also on Shelf Live. I think this is a brilliant record and that everybody should go listen to it and buy it. And it is a piece of art. Can you tell the audience kind of the style of music? They're dream pop. Yeah. They're dream pop. And then and I kind of go way back with Beth RZ. So... But yeah, I love that album. It was like I listened to it a lot. I think during the lockdown too, and it's it's it went on in my house a lot. My kids like it too. So that's what does it make you feel that things are right in the world? <laughs> that's usually the, the the place I go to. I listen. I I love taking on a on a walk with me too. I'm not taking the vinyl on a walk. I don't do that but you know and stuff <laughs> the melodies is just are so strong and the harmonies and the songs are just so good i just the the the, the, the craft of the song and there's such a great flow to that record too i just think it's a really special record uh, i wish we had more time to keep talking about all this stuff this is fantastic ross what did you bring this is uh related to what katie said but i brought Probably my favorite record of last year was the Treasures of Mexico record, which is on Spin Out Nuggets, which we are lucky enough, can position this right, to they're releasing Reese Lines in Europe for us. And but this record is great. It has the line from what Katie brought up because Beth Arzies also sang sings on this record, background, uh, backup, and but it's a 
really great jangly pop driving. It's two features, two men members of the dentists from the dentists were great, great British jangly band that I loved back then. And it's really, really strong. The lyrics are really, really strong. The singer has a cool distinctive voice and, you know, not, not into the traditional like singer where I guess most bands we like don't have the traditional singer, but you know, like the, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer. You like that kind of like, you know, but he has a cool like characteristic to it and a cool vibe. And the songwriting is really strong and it has good hooks. I like good hooks. It's and look a that pop record. Like that album cover. Yes. Yeah. The artwork for that album is really good. That's great. Okay. Thank you all for sharing. We're going to end it where Ryan, tell us what's next for Lavender Blush. Well, you just released an EP out. There's nothing inside your heart recently. So what's coming down the line for Lavender Blush in terms of music shows? Yeah. We have, of course, this show this upcoming weekend that I'm very excited for. It feels a little bit like playing a, a house party or it, it's just such a fun thing to play with slowness and with soft science. And we're lucky to, to be involved and we always have a good time. So we have that. And then I think after that, we're going to sort of hunker down a little bit. As I mentioned, we've been working on writing for a record we've been doing some recording for it but the record that we're working on it's going to be called our house in university heights and the songs that are written and partially recorded so far i'm really proud of and they're different we're centering everything around acoustic guitar which is extremely different for us and it's still going to be shoegazy in some ways but it's still going to sound like us but it's going to be a pretty interesting departure too, but I'm very proud of it. And I'm excited to ultimately share that. Very cool. Fantastic. Katie or Ross, what's coming down the line for soft science in terms of new music tours? Well, we have a batch of new songs that we're, we're working on and we're hoping that they're, you know, as we mentioned previously done quicker more quickly than our last batch but the main thing is that we're also still trying to play shows and get out there we have i mean this we're still looking forward to this show at the knockout and then we we have some more stuff in the works as far as coming back to san francisco we're playing shell razor in nevada in on may 31st which is a really cool festival middle nowhere but it's gonna be amazing we're playing with I feel bad because Lush is my favorite band in the world, but I cannot say her name correctly. Mickey Burn Burn Bernie. <laughs> Mickey Brandy. And 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 then the next and also on the show is uh, the Ravenettes, which was one of our all-time faves. Like Tron. Yeah, when you see the we see the poster, we're like in the very, very bottom. But like we're we made play. the poster. <laughs> but we made the poster. <laughs> <laughs> so we gotta take our wins when we yes. get on. We made the post, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but so we're that is the the kind of we're all our families are going. It's gonna be like a family vacation thing. It's gonna be great. We're so looking forward to that. And we have some other things in the works as far as playing outside of California that hopefully we'll be able to announce. Hopefully, let's solidify so we can announce fairly soon. But the main thing is you want to. Tr- our main goal is trying to try to work out where we can 
as Kay alluded to previously, we are having the two modes, like either recording or playing live. We're going to try to figure out a way of being doing both. And we have some ideas that we're trying to kind of try to work through and, and make progress. Fantastic. So if I heard this correctly, Lavender Blush, Slowness, Soft Science are playing this Saturday at the Knockout in San Francisco, which is in the Mission District, starting at 6 p.m. Doors open at 5 p.m. Tickets are still available. Great. Ryan, Katie, Ross, thank you so much for giving up your precious time to be part of this surprise cast. I am grateful for this opportunity And some of the things I've taken away have really kind of opened my eyes and trying to, I feel as though I'm a little bit one step closer to understanding how an artist's mind work. And thank you for articulating the, your answers in a way that, like I said earlier, you provided some really great nuggets that I can kind of hang on to and think about more. So thank you. My name is W, host of the High Art on the Edge page. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of SurpriseCast. Ryan from Lavender Blush, Katie from Soft Science, Ross from Soft Science as well. Take care, everyone. Keep listening to great music. It's always out there. (laughs) 